You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. And if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Peter as we continue our series called The Book and working our way through to the end. And so uh, it's just after James and obviously just before 2 Peter, but the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. And looking forward to, to being there with you this morning. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1. It was something a lot of us, uh, there's something we admire and love about kids all of us, not just my kids, but whether you've got grandkids or your own kids or um, siblings, there's something funny about particularly little kids, and that is they will say and do what we want to do, but won't because we know it's not socially acceptable. You know what I mean? Like they do the things, they they say the things that we're already thinking, we just know we probably shouldn't do it, we're gonna get in trouble. Especially, I think this is true when it comes to how kids eat and drink their food. So um, as an example, my kids, they eat and maybe even drink Chick-fil-A sauce the way most of us want to. You know what I mean? So like my, my daughter Caroline Tate, she will, she'll take out, the Chick-fil-A sauce, by the way, after the last service, a lady caught me and she said, I want you to know, I really did listen to the whole sermon, but the whole sermon, I kept wondering if you intentionally wore a shirt that looked like Chick-fil-A sauce. And I was like, never crossed my mind. I'm glad God spoke to you. <laughs> um, but uh, Carolina Tate would take the Chick-fil-A sauce and she'll, she'll just, without her hands, just start licking out of it. I'm like, that is so disgusting. Like, I don't blame you. I don't want to see that, right? Or she'll take her, her, she'll take her French fry and she'll dip it in the sauce like we all do, but she, rather than biting the French fry, she uses it like a spoon, which I'm just saying someone should make French, fly, French fry flavored spoons. Like that would be a good thing, right? But she'll, she'll go through the entire one or two Chick-fil-A sauce packets and never take a bite of French fry. I'm like, that's impressive, but also a little gross. It's just pure fat. You do you, right? Um, Though normally, I redirect her. When she starts to go just for the Chick-fil-A sauce or Haddon, I kind of redirect them. A lot of you, if you've got kids, grandkids, siblings, you remember having to do that. You you understand having to do that and saying, hey, you can't just eat Chick-fil-A sauce because you want them to have a well-rounded meal, right? You gotta eat everything. So even though Chick-fil-A isn't really healthy, like that healthy, I'm like, you gotta eat your chicken, you gotta eat your French fries and your fruit, not just the little fat packet, right? <laughs> you, you gotta do more than that. But every now and then, every now and then, when I see her put her hands behind her back and go stick her tongue out and just dab it in the sauce, I just say, go for it. Go for it. Just, just enjoy it. I think when we think about how we read the Bible and, and hear sermons, it is my hope, and it's Pastor David's hope, that you have a well-rounded, balanced meal. So what that means is not just taking one truth and, and just chewing on it, but, but looking at the whole passage in context and seeing how the parts relate to each other, right? So eating everything on your plate, that's really important. But I do think occasionally it's appropriate to, to just look at one truth and really suck all the flavor out of it, so to speak, and just dig into it for all it's worth. Why, as a side note, I recognize most of you probably don't give a rip, but 
why that's important, the difference is, is if you just pick one little truth and choose to chew on it, there's a lot more room for just me to say what I think rather than what God thinks. That's why it's so dangerous. But I think occasionally it's appropriate to say, let's just savor every bit of flavor from this one simple truth that we can. Does that make sense? So this morning, rather than trying to eat the whole meal that's in this text, we're gonna, we're gonna drink down some Chick-fil-A sauce, okay? I know it's Sunday and they're closed and now you're mad at me because you're thinking about it, but we'll be okay, all right? We'll be okay. So we're gonna, we're gonna read verses 13 through 21. I'm gonna unpack it just for a second and then I'll show you where our Chick-fil-A sauce packet is. All right, chapter one, verse 13. Therefore, and the therefore is, you always should see what it's there for, right? Seminary students know that. And you go back and verses 10 through 12, he's unpacking this amazing salvation we have that even the angels, so they, they long, they're peeking over the edge of heaven. They long to see the salvation that we have. They long to, to know what redemption and grace and mercy feel like. So he says, you have this amazing salvation. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. So he's saying, don't live like you used to before you know Christ. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. When he says strangers, he's saying, so as you live, as you're passing through this life, right, this is not our final destination, amen, this is not our final home, as you're passing through, you live a holy life. For you know, so he gives us a why. So live a holy life, here's why. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So, Big picture summary. I think this is really kind of a similar text to what we were in. I think it was in First or Second Thessalonians about being holy. And he says, be holy because God is holy, but also because you've been bought not with, you've been redeemed not with silver or gold, but what, with what? The precious blood of who? Of Christ. Like, a, like an unblemished lamb, a spotless lamb. So God the Son, Christ himself, gave his own life. His own blood flowed for you so you could be saved. And then verse 20 you could almost like miss this. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Verse 20 is our Chick-fil-A packet for the day. And you may be thinking, of all those verses, that seems like the most random one. Exactly. <laughs> it's amazing truth in this text. So but first let's see what this truth is, and then we're gonna get all the flavor and juice and goodness out of it. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Foundation of the world, that's a New Testament way of describing the creation of the world. So he says, he, who's he talking about? He is, Sunday school answer, Jesus, thank you, all right. He, Jesus, 
was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He was foreknown before God even created the world. Now, and he says in these last times, he's been revealed for you. So again, Christ has always existed, but, but then we are on this side of the cross. When he says foreknown, the idea there is not that God just knew about Jesus, but it's that he knew Jesus would be, God the Son would be the suffering savior of the world. Where am I getting that? Well, verse 19 describes Christ as, it describes him as offering his precious blood. He's like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. So a little further unpacking here, that Christ was foreknown as the suffering savior of the world. Shake your head if you're still with me, all right? He was foreknown as that before the world was even formed. Foreknown. Some translations say chosen. Because God is in control and God knows everything, but not only knows everything, plans everything. And because God is not like a man that he should change his mind, what he sets to do, he does. Because Christ was foreknown as the suffering savior of the world before God even created the world, that means that before God even created the world, it was as if Christ's sacrifice for us was as good as done. Are you still with me? A word we could use for that is, it was preordained, predetermined. So it's, it's Revelation 13, 8, that Christ is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So not that literally Christ died before the world was even created. No, but it was as good as done in the mind of God. I love the way Sam Storm says this. It's that the, the point is that God's purpose in ransoming sinners was not an afterthought, but was conceived in his heart before time began. So our question that's gonna help us dig into this is this. What is the significance of the preordaining of the cross of Christ? What is the significance? Why does it matter? The preordaining of the cross of Christ. Again, the preordaining meaning, again, just make sure we're settled so we can move on, that before God even created the world, he determined Christ would be the suffering savior of the world by shedding his own blood on a cross. So what is the significance of the preordaining of the cross of Christ? If you would, take out a French fry, let's scoop up some Chick-fil-A sauce. All right, number one is this. The preordaining of the cross of Christ reveals my wicked heart. It reveals my wicked heart. I thought I would start with just a really encouraging point, okay? The preordaining of the cross of Christ reveals my wicked heart. What do I mean by that? Before God even created the world, he looked at us, knew how wicked we would be, and knew we would need a savior. See, what God didn't do, he didn't create the world and say, you know what, I'm gonna let them give it a go. Like, I think they're pretty good. I think, they'll be, I think JT, pretty solid guy. Jackson, solid guy. Maddie Grace, questionable. Just kidding, Maddie Grace, totally kidding. Shouldn't do that. She's, she's my neighbor, so I can pick on her. He did not look at it and say, maybe they'll be okay. Maybe they'll figure it out. No, he looked at us and said, they're gonna need a savior. They're so wicked, they're so evil, they're gonna need a savior. The cross of Christ was not 
plan B if things didn't work out with us being good. No, it, from the beginning was the plan. He saw how broken we would be. I love what Psalms, the Psalms, Psalms 103 says that he knows that we are dust. God knows we would be broken, sinful, wicked people. You know, some of you helped out at Fields of Faith or maybe went to Fields of Faith and I appreciate y'all doing that. And uh, I think overall it was a good event, but I think if I'm honest, not to, to throw people under the bus, but I think our speaker at Fields of Faith this year kind of, he left some important things out. He, he said that uh, when you come to Christ, he fills you up. And that is totally, totally true. Christ fills you up. But he forgot to mention a really important part, that the, the sin part, that we are sinners in need of a savior, that we are wicked in need of a savior, in need of forgiveness. And the preordaining of the cross of Christ proves that. Why would God from the beginning of time, before time began, choose to send God the Son to die on a cross if we just need to be filled up with something? No, we need to be forgiven of our wicked, sinful rebellion against God. And that's why from before time began, God determined that Jesus would come to save us because we have wicked, evil hearts. You still with me? Some of you, are sitting there, and I told, I, it's understandable, and you're thinking, well, if God knew that, why did he even create us? That's a great question. And I don't mean this rudely. One, I, I, I can't answer that question in today's sermon because we could write a book on that. <laughs> Philosophers have been doing that for a while. I think if I could offer something real quick, I'm not trying to be like smart aleck, my response might be, I don't know, because God wanted to. Like, he's God and he wanted to. Some, some theologians say, for, uh, for our joy and for his glory, and I really resonate with that. That's not a good apologetics answer, like, but it is, that's the truth. God created us for our joy and his glory. I think a better question, though, if you're struggling with why did he create us, knowing we'd be so wicked, I think a, maybe a better, more helpful question is, why was God willing to come and die for us knowing we would be so wicked? Why was he willing before he even created the world to make a plan to come and redeem us knowing how sinful we would be? And I would say it's the same answer for our joy and for his glory. The preordaining of the cross of Christ reveals how wicked we are. What's the application of that? If you're not a Christian, you've never trusted Christ, the application is to turn to Jesus for salvation. To realize there's no plan B, there, there's no, uh, maybe I can be good enough. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He was the only, that's only been the plan, or that's only ever been the only plan. I think I can say it that way, is Jesus. So turn to him for salvation. And it's not just saying, Jesus, would you feel me? It's saying, Jesus, I'm a sinful, wretched person in need of your saving grace. Jesus, would you save me? Would you be the Lord of my life? And if you are a Christian, the application to the idea that the preordaining of the cross of Christ reveals your wickedness. If you are a Christian, the application is to cling to him in humility, knowing you are in desperate need of a savior. And he brought that salvation. Cling to him in humility. All right, that was number one of the significance of the preordaining of the cross of Christ. Let's look at number two. He was foreknown for the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Number two. The preordaining of the cross of Christ reassures my worried heart. The preordaining of the cross of Christ reassures my worried heart. You don't have to answer this out loud, but I want you to consider what are some of the things that you worry about? 
Now, we all have our things that we worry about, like, for this week, right? Like, if I came and talked to you after the service, we could all rattle off the things that are on our mind and we're stressed about. But, I mean, what are the, the bigger picture things that you're worried about? Maybe the things that you do worry about and fly across your mind, but you haven't been willing to say them because you don't want to be perceived as a bad Christian. You know what I mean? Like, maybe you've worried and wondered, does God, does God hear me when I pray? Maybe you've worried or wondered, God, do you even see me? Some, some of you, you're in such a mess that you're like, God, do you, hello, did you forget that you made me and I'm down here and I need your help? Like think about, I think if anyone ever felt or wondered maybe or worried if God saw him, it had to be Joseph, right? Joseph did the right thing over and over and over again and it only got him further and further down on the rung, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like, what a godly man, Potiphar's wife basically throws herself at him and he runs away from her instead of God like, no, you're elevated. He ended up in prison over and over and over again. God, do you even see me? Some of you have wondered that. God, God are, you, are you gonna meet my needs? Are you gonna come through? God, are you gonna take care of my family? Some of you think about the situation that your parents are in or your siblings are in or your kids are in. God, are you gonna provide for us? Are you gonna meet our needs? God, are you gonna be faithful? Here's what the preordaining of the cross of Christ means. That before you even existed, God saw your need. God saw your need and was willing to make a plan for it, to send Jesus to be the suffering savior of the world. Does, does God see you? Absolutely, he sees you. Before the world was even created, he saw you, saw your need, and was willing to meet it. God, are you going to be faithful? God has carried his plan through before time, the plan he made before time began. He's carried it through this far. You can rest assured he will finish what he started, as Philippians 1 6 says. God is faithful. You can rest assured that God sees you, he hears you, he knows your needs. The preordaining of the cross of Christ proves it. It wasn't like, oh, shoot. Oh, they're praying, they need some help. We better get a plan. No, before you even thought about talking to God, he made a plan to save you. So I don't have to worry if he's gonna take care of me, if he hears me, he sees me. No, I can rest assured. The cross proves it, amen? The cross proves it. I think that this third thing we're gonna see may be the most helpful. If I'm honest, like, this third one was the most helpful for me. So we've got, it reveals my wicked heart, number one. Number two, it reassures my worried heart. Number three, the preordaining of the cross of Christ rests my weary heart. The preordaining of the cross of Christ rests my weary heart. When, when I say weary, what I mean is, I think this is um, very common in the Bible Belt. When they say that Texas is the buckle of the Bible belt, right? It's very common here. That we fall into this moralistic idea of, of Christianity that we're always trying to earn something from God. Even as a born-again believer in Jesus, you've placed your faith in Jesus, I think we still fall into this rut of, I, I've got to earn God's favor. I, I, I've got to earn it. Or I've got to prove something to God. I've got to prove how, how much I love him. I've got to prove that I'm worthy of his love and affection. I'm worthy of him choosing me. Or I've got to, I've got to keep it. So we have this idea that like, you can't see it from where you're at. There's a, kind of a, a square that I'm standing in up here. And we kind of have this attitude often of, 
I gotta, I gotta keep up my good work so I can keep in right relationship with God. And oh man, if I fall out, if I mess up, oh, then I gotta work really hard to get back into his good grace. And, and I gotta do my best so that he'll love me and he'll, he'll cherish me and he won't be mad at me. And so you work, 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 and it wears you out. And you think uh, that your, what you've done is what caused God to, to send Jesus to save you. But here's what this truth in verse 20 teaches us. That what you do or don't do has nothing to do with what Jesus decided to do for you. If he determined way back when, before the world was even created, that he would send Jesus as the suffering savior, then surely what I do or don't do today does not determine God's love for me. Are y'all with me? It was determined, God's love for me was determined long, long, long ago. How long ago? I don't know, before the world was even created. That seems like a long time ago. God's love for me was settled long, long, long ago because God's love for you is not based on what you do or don't do. It is based on, it is settled on the definitive work of Jesus, which, is, which was as good as done before the world was even created. See, God decided to make a mess out of his life on a cross long before you made a mess out of your life. The preordaining of the cross of Christ means you can rest your weary heart. You can settle into that. It's Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So before we got to rock together, he died for you. And, and 1 Peter 1, 20 is saying, before the world was even created, he died for you. That he had made up his mind to die for you. It means that long before you turned your back on God, God decided that he would come and have his back beatily, excuse me, beaten brutally for you. That they would take that cat of nine tails, stick with leather straps and pieces of metal and bone attached to the end that he would be beaten over and over and over again. Having the flesh literally ripped from his back and from his ribs, pull it off because he loves you. Long before you took your feet into places you should not go or walked into conversations you should not be in, Jesus determined that his feet would be nailed to a cross for you. Long before you took your hands and, and used them to hurt people in ways you should not or in touch people in ways you should not or to touch yourself and do things to yourself you should not, Jesus determined that his hands would be nailed to a cross. Long before you used your mind and your eyes to do things you ought not to, Jesus' eyes were spat upon and punched and his head on it was placed a crown of thorns and blood flowed from his head. Long before in your gut you had desires and longings that you should not have, long before that, God determined that Christ, this, God the Son, would be, on a, would be nailed to a cross and that his side would be pierced with a spear and that blood and water would flow for you because he loves you. See, God's love for you was settled long, long ago before the world was even created so you can settle into God's love now, amen? Settled long ago so you can settle in to his love. 
It was determined before you were even a thought. Dane Ortland in his book, Deeper, says this, and I love these words. Whether the wreckage of your life is your own doing or someone else's, you who are in Christ have never stepped outside the cascading waterfall of divine love. Just time out for it. What a cool picture, right? That if you're in Christ, you're standing under this waterfall of love and, and you, you can't get out of it. And again, that was determined for you in Christ before the world was even began, before the world was even created. It was determined that you wouldn't be able to get out of that waterfall of love. He says, God would have to ungod himself for that flood to run dry. You may have muted your experience of his love, but you cannot stop the flow any more than a single pebble can slow Victoria Falls a mile across and 360 feet high as those millions of gallons of the Zambezi River come crashing over the cliffs there in southern Zambia. Whether you have ignored it, neglected it, squandered it, misunderstood it, or hardened yourself to it, the Lord Jesus Christ approaches you today not with arms crossed, but with arms open. The very position in which he hung on the cross. And I would add to his words, and Christ chose that posture before the world was even created. His love for you is settled. A lot of us aren't growing in our relationship with Christ because you feel unsettled. You know, that it's really true of, of probably all animals and humans included, but uh, certainly true of sheep. And the Bible describes us as sheep, so it's fair to, to use this metaphor. That sheep, especially, they're not gonna graze or drink from a river or whatever, wherever their water source is if they're unsettled and nervous about, about what's going on around them. They, they get too skittish. So the shepherd has to come and, and shh, graze, drink got you. How many of us are not grazing and nourishing on the life-giving words of scripture? We're not grazing on the life-giving truths of the gospel because we're like, we're unsettled. I think God loves me. I think he's, I think he's not mad at me. I think I'm okay. And the call this morning is to know that Christ settled his love for you before the world even began. So you can settle into his love. And when you do that, you begin to grow in him. How many of you need to hear that? I know I need to hear that. I was studying this week. Man, as I settle into Christ, I begin to grow. And his love for me was settled long ago. The preordaining of the cross of Christ rests my weary heart. It it caused me to rest in the nail-scarred hands of Christ. Did you notice with, with all three of these points, these aren't actions to do, but truths to embrace. And knowing Jesus is not always about now I'm gonna go do these things. I mean, it, is, it should change your life. But knowing Jesus is first and foremost a relationship where you encounter him and he nourishes your soul and changes you from the inside out. So let the truths of scripture, let these gospel truths this morning nourish your soul. Got to go to Kenya, um, it's about five, six years ago, 2015, so six years ago. And we got to visit the Maasai, uh, a Maasai tribe there in, in Kenya. And I bought a talking stick. And the idea with this talking stick is 
that you, whoever has it in the, in the, when the tribe is having a council, um, whoever has it gets to talk. So the chief determines who gets the stick and they give the stick and everyone else has to sit there with their mouth closed and quiet while whoever has the stick talks. And I remember I, when I saw this, I thought, only if I had had this when I was a middle school pastor, right? Like, it may not have made a difference, but man, it would have been awesome. Um, some of you may, parents may want a talking stick for your house, right? Like, kind of a cool idea. Whoever has it gets to talk. Do you know that all of us, whether you know it or not, all of us carry a stock, not a stalking stick, don't do that. <laughs> all of us carry a talking stick. Not literally, but figuratively, right? All of us give to people or things or moments, we give the power of speaking over our life. I'm not trying to be all weird new age. That's just a fact. Like we all let things speak kind of into us and over us. Like uh, to use a phrase I heard at a conference uh, this Friday night at marriage night, a lady said, it's like a ticker tape in your mind, right? So it just round and round, that's the message going around in your head. How many of you have, you've given the talking stick to your past? And so no matter what God has done in your life today and the incredible bright future you had of you, you've still given the talking stick to your past. And so your past is defining you right now. Maybe similarly, some of you, you've given the talking stick to whatever your biggest mistake has been in your life. And, and even though in your mind you, you've, you've repented and you've, you've given that to Christ, it, that moment of failure and sin still has the talking stick. And so day in, day out, your biggest mistake is what's speaking over you and defining you. For some of you, maybe you've given the talking stick to culture. What I mean by that is you're letting Instagram and TikTok or whatever, I can't keep up with it all. You're letting that define you and speak over you and determine how you view yourself because you've given it the power. And you think you're just getting on and scrolling, but the reality is every time you scroll, you're just saying, here, speak over into my life. Please do that. Some of you, not many of you, but some of you had negative, always disapproving parents and you left the talking stick in their hand. And still, even though you may be 45 years old, you're still walking this sense of shame and I'm not good enough because what your parents said to you still hangs over your life. For some of you, it, it's what other people say to you. Maybe at your coworkers or your roommates or, or, or your own family members, they've said some things to you and you've given what they said, the ultimate power in your life. And it's the ticker tape always in your mind of what they said to you. You know, your, your mental battles are not just mental battles. Everything is spiritual. They're, they're spiritual battles as well. Some of you have given in your mind the talk. You didn't do this intentionally or consciously, but you've given, in a sense, the talking stick to Satan and his demons. And they feed you a constant lie of death, hell, and condemnation. You know, Satan came to steal and kill and destroy. He's a, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Some of you, you've given the talking stick to, to him in the sense of all you hear is negativity and death and hate and hopelessness. But the preordaining of the cross of Christ is saying that from before time even began, the cross of Christ was meant to speak over your life. From beginning to end, the cross of Christ is to have the final word in your life. So the invitation this morning is to, in a sense, give the talking stick to Christ. 
to recognize that before time began, the blood and the love of Jesus was to speak over your life, to define your life, to have authority over your life, to give you purpose and value and worth and identity. So to take the talking stick back from whatever foolish thing you've given it to and return it to Christ, who from before time began has desired to speak over your life with love, it is finished. The cross has the final word. Let the love of Jesus speak over you. That's been his desire from before he even created the world. This morning, as we respond, there's gonna be just a couple folks down front that maybe you wanna pray with or, or talk to or have a question or maybe just, maybe just come and grab them by the hand and say, hey, I, I, I need the cross to have the final word in my life. The fact that he chose to die for me before I was even a thought, and I need to let that resonate in my soul. The people that'll be down front will love to pray with you and talk with you about that. Maybe, maybe you've never surrendered to Christ. And the call this morning is to, to not just be filled up with him, but to say, Jesus, I'm a sinful person in need of your saving grace. Jesus, would you be the Lord of my life? I don't wanna just be filled up with you. I wanna follow you, Jesus. And Romans says that when you call the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So maybe this morning as we sing, you just need to cry out to the Lord for salvation. Again, the folks down here would love to talk with you about placing your faith and trust in Jesus. But my prayer for all of us as we sing this song is that your affection for Jesus would be stirred and that the cross would have the final word over your life from beginning to end. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the cross. Thank you that long before we made a mess out of our lives, you determined that you would make a mess out of yours on the cross. God, may we rest assured that you see us, that you hear us, that you see our need. May we rest from our religious trying to earn, improve, and keep and rest in that your grace and your mercy has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with the finished work of Jesus. God, will we settle into that? As we settle into your love and into what the cross has done, will we grow in you? God, we love you. Thank you for, for loving us and determining to love us long before we were even a thought. <laughs> you thought of us. God, would you speak to us now as we respond? Amen. Y'all stand and respond. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 